Well, some 500 years ago, give or take, Martin Luther um, said these words, Woe to the unmerciful, and let them be cursed, for no mercy shall be shown to them. As now, the world is full of such people, among the nobility and the, and the citizens and the farmers, who so wondrously sin against the dear gospel that they not only give nothing to the poor, to poor pastors and preachers, but besides, they take and they torment, and where they can, and act just as if they meant to starve mercy out and to drive mercy completely out of the world. Now, perhaps you and I don't know many nobilities, and living in this part of town, we don't know any farmers, or I, I don't know any farmers. But I'm sad to report that things are much the same today. Uh, the world is full of the unmerciful, and if we take Martin Luther's words at face value, it's been a rather unmerciful place for quite some time, um, and I don't have to work particularly high to, to prove it to you. I mean, if you look out today, you spend any time online, and I, I hate to always bring up you know, online discourse and social media, but so much of us live our lives you know, through, through our mobile phones and our, and our computer screens. Well, you know, if you look around, there's no, there's no shortage of, 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 of outrage. Uh, there, are, there is no shortage of, of the unmerciful and those who are uh, claiming and standing on what they perceive to be the demands of justice. We look out, we see the nations rage, and we see not just the nations, but our neighbors uh, and maybe even, our, even ourselves at times. The incapacity for mercy is a characteristic of this present evil age, this evil age that has extended from, uh, from uh, Christ's ascension even to today. And the idea of mercy, the very notion of mercy, and the demands of, of, of mercy, well, that's one of the most important things that make the kingdom of heaven and those citizens of that kingdom, people like you and me, it what makes us stand out and start contrast to the world around us. And so today, as we take up this beatitude, uh, we are once again going to look up, um, going to e examine the demands of mercy, what it means to be, to be merciful, um, the blessings upon the merciful, under, under three headings, um, beginning with point number one, the righteous and the merciful. The righteous and the merciful. You know, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. One of the things, one of the unique things about, about this beatitude, as we've been working through that list and we hear them repeated every Sunday morning, well, one of the unique things about this is that most commentators that um, that have or, or that I've studied regarding the Beatitudes, most, if not all, uh, see the relation between those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and the merciful. And it's not a coincidence that these two things are grouped together in, in our Lord's um, instructions. On the heels of the blessings for those who desire righteousness also comes what is somewhat of a balance for those of us who are more prone to, to justice and to be in outrage and to, and to want righteousness, uh, the balance that is this requirement of, of being merciful. You know, it is self-evident that a hunger and a thirst for righteousness, though, though wonderful uh, and though is necessary for us, 
that that hunger can be susceptible to a fatal flaw. That zeal for righteousness, if left unchecked, can lead to disdain for those who fall short to what righteousness and justice requires. Um, For anyone who falls short of what the law demands, for what the law says um, is righteousness, well, those who hunger and thirst for it can tend to grow frustrated, even angry and bitter, when people and the world is less or, um, are both less than righteous. You see, we have a problem of sin, and it skews our ability to see um, both ourselves and the world rightly. The demand for justice often comes at the expense of compassion and mercy for others. That's what several commentators point out, and, what, and, where, and that is a good place that I think for us to start in our examination this morning. You know, Luther once again points out that there is a virtue of what he calls sham sanctity or just false sanctity. Um, and this sham sanctity can have no compassion for or, um, for or mercy upon the fallible and the weak because it insists on extreme strictness. And as soon as there is a slightest failure, all mercy is gone and they do nothing but fume and fret. The Bible very clearly warns us against, you know, growing angry when it comes to, or being um, sinful in our anger when it comes to seeing that which is unjust or that which is unrighteous. Um, And it also tells us that anger will not be the way in which we go about becoming righteous ourselves. So James says things like in James 1, it says, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And how easy is it, therefore, for those who have an outsized hunger for righteousness, for that to come at the expense of other Christian virtues? Um, you see this sort of thing all the time, not just expressed in real life, uh, but you see it all over you know, history and even works of art. I'm going to have to use Les Mis a few times in this story, because when we talk about justice and mercy, there's no way, there's no way of just getting away from that, Right? Uh, when you think about a person who is, you know, who is obsessed with justice, the, the quintessential uh, figure who demands justice and wants to uphold the law, even at the expense of all compassion and mercy, well, we think of Inspector Javert, um, who in the story uh, is you know, claiming uh, to fulfill his duties as one who is upholding the demands of justice and yet he completely lacks all empathy and compassion and mercy. Um, when he comes across Jean Valjean, at least in the... Um, what, when he comes across Jean Valjean, at least in the novel, um, he is asked, you know, why do you never temper your justice with mercy? mercy exactly what we're talking about here. And Inspector Javert replies that he, had, he, that he administers the law, good, bad, or indifferent, and that it's no business of mine, but the letter of the law. While that may sound noble, uh, while that may sound like the right thing for us to do or, or something desirable, when you look at the testimony of Scripture and you see when, when God himself uh, administers the law, well, he does so justly, but he also demonstrates great mercy and forbearance from cover to cover of the Scriptures. Um, he never persecutes the law to the greatest extent that he could. The Lord is patient and long-suffering, 
And this is how he reveals himself to Moses at Mount Sinai. He is both a just God, he has a law, he's a righteous God, but he's also a merciful God who is slow to anger. In Exodus 34, he's, um, it says that the Lord passed before him, and the Lord proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and who will by no means clear the guilty, though, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. He is a God who is just, uh, who does not, who does not uh, cover his eyes from sin, and yet is one who is merciful and steadfast in his love and faithfulness. This sort of tension that we see both in the character of God and the story of Scripture and here in these two Beatitudes back-to-back is very important for us to get a grasp on, uh, that we need to, in order to be or to receive the blessings that come along with the kingdom, is really be people who are concerned with not just a righteousness that is, um, that is good, but also be, be people who are ready to be merciful, particularly be merciful in in this age, at this time, and in this place, um, under uh, or during an age that is still under a curse. There's a blessing pronounced to the merciful here with justice kind of lingering in, in the background as we proceed. And so as we move forward, it's important for us to ask, though, what does it look like to be merciful? What is required uh, to be merciful? What, are those, what, is this, what does this look like? How does it work? And so the second thing I want us to note from this passage is the character of the merciful. The character of the merciful. Blessed are those who, even in the midst of their great zeal for righteousness and for the law, are merciful. So let's go ahead and hone in. When the Bible talks about mercy and extending mercy, when it talks about just the the bare essentials of of forgiving and for treating others in a way that they don't, that they might not deserve. Um, well, the Bible tends to talk about mercy in two distinct ways. That there's two flavors of mercy that are both encapsulated here that we need to make sure that we have a handle on. And the first is that general idea that, that is associated most with forgiveness. That, that forgiveness is an essential element of, of mercy. That to be merciful is to be one who takes pleasure in forgiving the faults and the sins, the offenses of other people. That we do want to have in our mercy uh, compassion and demonstrate that same kind of forbearance that God shows. That even though God has every right uh, to punish every sinner or every wicked deed to the fullest extent, he shows restraint and mercy. Um, Character of God is like this all, um, all the time. To be forgiving and to be long-suffering is one of those things that delights our Lord. I mean, this is a God, after all, who spared no expense. He even paid what was required for him to demonstrate mercy to us by offering up his own son to shed his very blood. This is a God whose mercy is so... Uh, is so generous and so abundant that he will even you know, go out and seek the one who is lost. He is the God who delights, he says, to, to forgive the sins of his people. 
And so when Christ, um, God incarnate, brings this kingdom, he also brings with him this, this, this radical idea of forgiveness. And, and with the coming of Christ, with, with, with the onslaught of his kingdom, mercy has taken on this, this great significance that might not have been there to the fullest extent um, earlier in the story of Scripture. See, mercy was always important under someone like Moses, right? So under the Mosaic Covenant, under the Old, the old Covenant. But under the Old Covenant, you also have this mix of all these other requirements and demands for retribution. There are also things like an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, and those things, we are told, are good. And, and retribution, according to God's law, is, is holy and just and good. But yet, when we turn to the anticipation of the prophets, uh, the prophets who were, who were ministering to people in exile, they look forward to a day when mercy is to take center stage over and above even those other things that the law requires. And we read one of them in Hosea. You know, Hosea is talking about how the Lord has brought the people low, and yet he's going to reestablish them. Um, but one of the things that he says is going to characterize the future is this time when God desires um, mercy over sacrifice, where mercy will take on this preeminent role in the life of the, of the people of God. And in the kingdom of heaven, our new default, so like the default setting, just like the standard way of, like the, the normal operating procedure is no longer strict retribution, but it's mercy. Um, this is one of the ways in which there is, where the new covenant is better and Christ uh, coming has brought about this new, this new reality, this new era, where repayment for a wrong is not our first inclination. Um, taking up our own cause and defending our, ourselves or paying back someone what they are owed, though that's good, that's not the way in which we operate. Uh, that's not our primary mode of operation. That's why Jesus will say strange things like, when you get slapped in the cheek, um, slap them back. No, that's what I tell my kids. Um, if you get slapped in the cheek, turn the other cheek uh, and offer up the other cheek to be slapped. If they steal your cloak, well, give them your shirt as well or your tunic as well. Um, that no, the, the mode of operation for this kingdom has, has undergone a shift. And that's not saying that, you know, that strict retribution is, is bad or that God won't repay um, and judge everyone um, fully and equally for, what they, for, for the ways in which they've offended him and his people, but that it's not our place any longer to take up that type of retribution, to take up the sword against uh, another in the name of the kingdom. There's an almost absurd level of, of mercy and forgiveness that is demonstrated by God, which we will speak more of in depth in our conclusion. But there's also almost an absurd level of, or disposition towards mercy that we should have as his people, the people of this kingdom. Um, and that is one side of what it means to be merciful. But there's another element of mercy as well um, that we want to make sure that we are concerned with. And that's this idea of being beneficent or being kind and, and gracious towards those who are externally in need or those who require help. There's an element of mercy which is not just about forgiveness, but also 
showing compassion towards others who are in need. There's mercy in the sense of acts of mercy. When you, when you think about a mercy ministry that a church might put together, they aren't concerned with just going out and forgiving everyone, but they're concerned with doing things like feeding the poor, right, or um, visiting prisoners, working in soup kitchens, you know, feeding, clothing, providing medical aid. All those things characterize the person that is merciful as well. This is the kind of mercy that the church throughout her history has been profoundly effective in as well. It's one of those unique qualities that characterized the church in, the, in its earliest days. I mean, when the church was, was set apart and known for its bizarre acts of kindness and mercy towards, towards the outcasts. They would do things like care for those who were despised. You think of Christ and his ministry towards towards the lame and to, and to those, like, you know, those who are like lepers. In the early church, they would even do bizarre things like, you know, like, like adopt unwanted children, uh, which was very strange. Caring for the sinner, uh, caring for the needy is an essential element of, of mercy. Christ really emphasizes this throughout his ministry. Matthew records one instance, one great instance for us in, in Matthew 25. When he's talking about the separation of the sheep from the goats on the last day, this is the way in which our Lord speaks. When given this parable, he says, the king will say to the sheep on his right, uh, sorry, not a parable, when, when, um, when describing the last day, he says, the king will say to the sheep on his right, come, you, are, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Well, being merciful looks a lot like this, too. It's not just being quick to overlook an offense, but also actively seeking out the needs of others and meeting them meeting those needs. Taken together, these two elements form a distinct ethic for Christians who are members of that kingdom and yet still citizens of this world. And this, but yet this, this quality, uh, being merciful, really does require all of us uh, to set aside society's assumption that it is honorable to demand things like revenge. That those have to be set aside. Once again, uh, thinking of Les Mis because it's all about justice and mercy. Uh, this is the overall point of, uh, of other elements of that story as well. We see both sides of mercy really at work at the uh, during the prologue of the entire story. Uh, when Jean Valjean is released uh, released out on parole, and he's unable to find work. He's, uh, he's starving. And he's shown mercy, um, or mercy is shown to him by a bishop. Because what, what happens in that early part of the story? Well, first, um, the man brings, you know, takes him in, and he feeds him. He gives him shelter. He is merciful towards, uh, towards this man who, is a, who, is a pris or who was formerly uh, a prisoner. He meets his material needs. He shows him mercy. 
And then when that man, uh, and then when that man Jean Valjean betrays his mercy and steals his silver in the middle of the night, after he's caught, the, well, the bishop multiplies mercy upon mercy by not just providing for him, but then overlooking an offense and forgiving him. He helps Jean Valjean escape punishment. He lavishes mercy upon him. And it is that act of mercy, or those two acts of mercy, um, that then transform Jean Valjean and then kick off the entire story. Um, Calvin, when talking about this idea of, of being merciful, he says this. He says, the, word, the world reckons those men to be happy or blessed who give themselves no concern about the distress of others, but consult their own ease. Christ says that those are blessed who are not only prepared to endure their own afflictions, but to take a share in the afflictions of others, who assisted the wretched, uh, who willingly take part with those who are in distress, who clothe themselves, as it were, with the same affections, and that they may be more readily disposed to render them assistance. And no matter what shade of of mercy we're talking about, whether we're talking about just acts of mercy or we're thinking about the idea of forgiveness. Both uh, require us to endure the afflictions of, other, uh, of others, uh, to have an open heart and a willingness to serve, to serve others, to be more concerned with the benefit and with the happiness of others than, than ourselves. The blessings of the kingdom that we are promised here in the Beatitudes are offered up to those who live uh, in this world that way. And the blessing of, um, of the kingdom also come with them, just like every Beatitude, a promise, that there's an accompanying promise that, come, uh, that comes to those who are blessed. So the last thing I want us to see is point number three, mercy towards the merciful. Mercy towards the merciful. This particular beatitude, it definitely does stand out. Because while, like I said, every, every pronouncement of blessing then has like a consolation or it has a promise. It says, blessed are you when you endure in this way. And here's your consolation. You're going to receive uh, some benefit both now and in the life to come um, as a citizen of that kingdom. But this one is unique because it tells us blessed are the merciful because you're going to get a whole bunch of mercy. That, the, bless, that the, um, the promise is that very same thing that warrants the blessing in the first place, and that, and, and that is mercy, being merciful. Those who show mercy in this life will receive mercy in the end. And this type of reciprocity um, is something that is common in Matthew's gospel in particular, is that this idea of you're going to receive from God a reward that is, that, that, is, that is equal with the manner in which you lived in this life. So if you live one way in life, the Lord is going to treat you that way um, in the end as well. So we, we, hear, like we pray things and we believe things all over the book of Matthew like it. So in the Lord's Prayer, it says, forgive us our debts as we also um, have forgiven our debtors. And there's this, there's this idea, we're going to forgive 
um, those who have trespassed against us in this life. And God, we pray that you would also likewise forgive our trespasses. trespasses. Um, or it tells us in the negative, it says, you know, Matthew 7 is where we hear that, you know, judge not lest you also be judged. Um, that if, if you're going to judge people in this life, you need, to be, you need to exercise caution because the manner in which you judge people, that's how your Father in heaven is going to judge you. And so we have the same thing here. When we show mercy to others in this life, while well, we are both imitating God's mercy and we can expect uh, to receive God's mercy, we are emulating our Heavenly Father. Now, fundamentally, we are following the example and the instruction of Christ here, who goes on. I mean, there's all sorts of ways in which uh, Christ in his ministry, he talks about forgiveness and showing mercy to be the mode of operation. I mean, God tells us that the nature of the very gospel is that God loved his enemies enough to give up his son for them, to die on their behalf. And so living this way is a great, it's a great virtue to have for people, but it's also a way in which we carry out and we, and we image God um, by embodying this, this attribute concerning God's nature, the nature of his love, his, this attribute regarding his love, that for people who are sinners, God's love takes the form of mercy and grace. And so when we live this way, when we live as merciful people, um, we are living in a way that is consistent with that godly image that we were created in. But of course, when we talk this way, when we talk about God's merciful, so we're going to be merciful, or that our mercy is compared to God's mercy, or that our, you know, um, um, our virtue then warrants God, uh, God be virtuous towards us. We have to remember that even as we are merciful in difficult situations, and you, even if you showed amazing, virtue, or, uh, amazing mercy in this life, that our mercy pales in comparison to the mercy that God has shown us in Christ. The promise that we shall receive mercy in the end for us should be something that is just completely overwhelming. We don't want to minimize what your mercy for another can achieve because such things would be wonderful. When you are mercy to those who are or when you are merciful to those who are hurting, it truly is a magnificent thing. I mean, when you relieve the burdens of people, when you help heal relationships, when you offer forgiveness, when you help someone through a difficult time, even in extreme cases, when you have the capacity to fill an empty belly, to give a poor person shelter, those are amazing things. And yet, even those blessed acts of mercy pale in comparison to the mercy that God has shown you in Christ. If you're, take, if you're taking notes, 1 Peter 1 really explains the gospel in terms of this idea of God being merciful. That it casts all the work that Christ has done in the gospel as a great act of God's mercy towards us. I'm going to read. It's 1 Peter 3. Uh, 1, I'm sorry, 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5 says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, 
who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last day. I mean, that is an earth-shattering pronouncement of the gospel, and it is all a work of God's mercy granted to you, both the sending of his son, the raising his son from the dead, the giving you an an unperishable heritage, one that is unfading, and then preserving that from, for you, both, preserving both your inheritance and preserving you in faith, all works of God's mercy. But such mercy uh, that God has freely offered to us, we're reminded here as well that that, that didn't come cheap, that it was bought with the price of Christ's blood. And that is something that we do not take lightly. One of the ways in which we acknowledge uh, that reality, that we express our gratitude and thanks for that reality, um, is by being people who in our own small way demonstrate mercy here in this life. Even in times like today when being merciful towards others, being forgiving and going out of our way for others, even our enemies, is not necessarily in vogue. We live in a time when people want to persecute others to the fullest extent of what is possible and lawful. And even if it's not lawful, they'll try to get you anyways. We live at a time when everyone seems to be caught up in one, uh, one upsmanship, um, desiring punishment and retribution for others. I mean, it's not just something that I see take place in my home with my own children or from myself. Um, but you could look in any home and in any institution. There's just as much desire for payback um, in the halls of Congress as they are in the halls of my very house. We want others to get what is coming to them, um, to get what they deserve. And being merciful tells us that that is still what they deserve, (laughs) And yet, in the face of that, uh, we are still commanded to be merciful. Because the Bible also tells us that we play a very dangerous game um, if our judgments and dealings with others are void of any empathy and compassion. James 2, um, James says in James 2, that judgment um, is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. But mercy triumphs over judgment. So as we conclude today, yes, be warned. Um, Be warned of the danger of being one um, who doesn't recognize that mercy will triumph over judgment. Be warned. um, If your hunger and thirst for righteousness has led you askew and led you towards the way of anger. But also... Be comforted, even in the midst of your failing, because God is not like you. Um, He's not stingy in doling out his forgiveness, that he will restore uh, you in a spirit of mercy and and grace once again, like he does every single week. Um, And that is one of the reasons why we gather, to know that no matter how much we blow it, uh, no matter how much we conducted ourselves wrongly and withheld Uh, the mercy and compassion that others deserved. And we come here, confess our faults, uh, 
and God proclaims a fresh dispensation of mercy upon us once again. May that be the thing that we, uh, that we crave and that, w- and that we come to church for to hear. And hopefully, may that also be the thing that transforms the way in which we go about our life in this age as merciful members of his kingdom. Let's pray.